Good morning, Archdale friends. And it's good to be able once again to come to you live through Mark Zuckerberg's famous contraption, Facebook. So we're traveling through the airwaves, or we're in your homes, or we're in your phones. And it's good that we can be together even if it's while we're apart. Friends would like to remember, and, and uh, or if they would like to pay the respects for Betty Jones Warren, who passed away recently, they can do so Sunday, May 17th, 2020, that's this afternoon, at 2 to 5, from 2 o'clock this afternoon to 5 this evening, at Cummings Family uh, Funeral Service right next door. There will be a service for We're going to join in singing a couple of hymns, and then we're going to close with more precious than silver. I think we have the words on the screen for you.
beautiful shine. And Missy. It's a treat to have Missy with us. This morning, we're going to talk about a few kind of pillar characters in Scripture. We're going to look at them in a way I imagine you probably haven't before. We're going to talk about something that you don't hear a lot in most sermons because it's an uncomfortable thing to talk about, more than sin or wrong choices. Talk about attitude, perception, how we perceive our world and how we interpret it. And as the, the older I get, the more I realize that it's not the things that happen to me that are important. It's the way I respond to them. It's the way I interpret them, and it's the way I let them affect me. Attitude. So we're going to look at some bad attitudes in Scripture from some decent people. We're going to look at the consequences of a bad attitude. The natural consequences. It can alienate. It can cause us to be alienated from God, but it can also cause us to be alienated from friends and family and folks that we've always held dear. It can keep us from reaching out to somebody we haven't talked to in twenty years because of pride. Bad attitude can cloud our judgment, make us make wrong choices. So let's, before we do that, we're going to be in Deuteronomy chapter 34, verses 1 through 4. Before we do that, let's say a quick word of prayer. Father, I pray that you, these words would not come out of me as mine, Lord, but as yours. You have put your word in my heart, Lord, that you would keep your word in my mouth. And I pray, Lord, that you would bless us as we endeavor to draw closer to you. And even in times where we have to be physically distant, Lord, I pray that our spirits would be as kindred as ever. In thy son's Jesus' name, whom we receive salvation, grace, and hope. Amen. Bad attitude. <clears throat> We're going to look at Moses. Now, Moses had an entire career uh, out of dealing with whiny people. He made a career out of dealing with people with bad attitudes. And eventually, it rubs off on him. And what is tragic about Moses, and Moses is, is, turns out to be a tragedy. There's some, some tragedies in the Old Testament. King Solomon is one. Samson is one. We'll talk about him. He's a tragedy. Saul, King Saul is a tragedy. What's so tragic about Moses is that he didn't end well. He didn't finish well. Because of his attitude. His attitude kept him from the biggest promise God ever made to anybody. His attitude kept him from, from entering into the land of Canaan. So we're going, to look at, we're going to look at Deuteronomy chapter 34, the first few verses, and then we're going to skip over to Numbers 29 and kind of have the root cause what happened what caused Moses to have a bad attitude what did Moses do to, to get punished from ever setting foot into Canaan I mean, think about it that's a gnarly punishment that's a, bad, that's a harsh punishment he led these people in the desert for 40 years 
He faced Pharaoh, faced the, the, the strongest, powerful empire of his day, to end it watching his people crossing over into God's promised land. While his dreams kind of rotted around him. And attitude will do that, man. So let's look at verse 1, starting in verse 1 in Deuteronomy chapter 34. Then Moses went up from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo, to the top of Pisgah, which faces Jericho. And the Lord showed him all the land. And Gilead, as far as Dan, all the Nephalti, the land of Ephraim and Manasseh, all the land of Judah, as far as the Mediterranean Sea, the Negev and the plain in the valley of Jericho, the city of Palms, as far as Zor. And the Lord then said to him, This is the land I promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I will give it to your descendants. I have let you see it with your own eyes, but you will not cross into it. We're going to read just a few more. Verse 5. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the Lord's word. He buried him in the valley in the land of Moab, facing Beth Peor, and no one to this day knows where the grave is. Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eyes were not weak, and his vitality had not left him. What do you think that means? The author wanted us to know without a doubt that Moses didn't die of old age. He was 120. He didn't die of old age. His eyes weren't weak. They were strong, and he had vitality left in him. Means he could still have children. So why did he die? He died because God's punishment. He died at the hand of the Lord. God wouldn't let him cross into the land. God wouldn't let him taste the land of milk and honey that he had talked about, that he had dreamed of the last 40 years of his life. And it cost him everything. Why such a punishment? Have you ever done that? Have you ever seen your, your fruits, the, the things you've worked hardest for, kind of dissipate in your hands, kind of go right through your hands because of your attitude, because of the way you responded to a situation? Well, if you have, you're not in bad company. Moses has. We're going to look in this verse. We're going to look at this, this pericope here in Numbers chapter 20, and we're going to look in verse 9. So Moses took the staff from the Lord's presence, just as he had commanded him. Moses and Aaron summoned the assembly in front of the rock, and Moses said to them, Listen, you rebels, must we bring water out of the rock for you? Then Moses raised his hand and struck the rock twice with the staff so that abundant water gushed out and the community and their livestock drank. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not trust me to demonstrate my holiness in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this assembly into the land I have given them. These are the waters of Meribah, where the Israelites quarreled with the Lord, and he demonstrated his holiness to them. So what happened? 
give you a little context. The Israelites are whining. They're complaining because they're whiners. That's what they do. They're in the desert, and they're thirsty, and there's no water, and they again go to Moses and cry out, have you brought us out in here in the desert to die? It was better that we go to Egypt. And Moses gets hurt. He lets, he, lets, he lets their attitude get to him, get underneath his skin. These ungrateful, stiff-necked people. And God tells him to go speak to the rock. The water would flow out. But he doesn't. He gets angry. He gets frustrated, and he hits the rock. Water comes out. God still blesses him, despite of his bad decisions, because... You want to remain faithful to Israel. Moses disobeyed him. He hit the rock. He didn't speak to it. And so why would, again, such a harsh punishment for what just seems a momentary lack in judgment, but things get a little bit more clear when we start in verse 12. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not trust me, to demonstrate my holiness in the sight of the Israelites. What does he mean by that? That word holiness in Hebrew, it means different. That's all it means. Translated holiness means different. So when Moses, when God says to Moses, I am the Lord your God, I am holy. When he tells the Israelites, I am holy, he means I am different. He's saying I am different than you. And so instead of demonstrating one of God's miracles, and showing the Israelites just how different this God was from the gods of the Canaanites and the Moabites and the Amorites. Instead of speaking to it, he hit, he hit it. He got angry and he struck it. He didn't trust God. But also, he sort of takes some of God's glory. And if you read in verse 9... No, excuse me, verse 10, it says, Moses and Aaron summoned the assembly in front of the rock, and Moses said to them, Listen, you rebels, must we bring water out of this rock for you? Notice that word, that, the word he uses in an imperative. He says, must we? He doesn't say, must God, or watch God, or this is something the Lord is doing, but he, he and Aaron take credit for it. Bad attitude. You see this happen a lot of times in big churches with pastors of big churches, four or five thousand, six thousand members or more, and, and, and they get this kind of air about them. But I have found in the ministry that the second we take credit for what God's doing, the second we become so deluded that we think that these good things that are manifesting in the church are, are from our work and not just the Holy Spirit working in spite of us, the minute we start to take credit for God's work, He's going to leave us. What does He tell Isaiah in chapter 42, verse 8 of the book of Isaiah? He says, I am the Lord. I will share my glory with no other. Nor my praise to worthless idols. Attitude, man. When we get frustrated at people, when we get so arrogant, when we get so perverse in our thinking that we take credit for what God is doing in our lives. And James says that everything that's happening in our lives, everything that's good, the book of James says everything that's good comes from God. 
But instead of trusting God like he should have, instead of speaking to the rock, he hit it. He took matters into his own hands. You ever done that? You ever had a situation that you just know you should have prayed more about? Should have thought more about. But out of urgency or out of fear, you acted and you made the wrong decision. And that's what really the story of King Saul was really all about. If you look in 1 Samuel chapter 13, Saul's going to war as the king of Israel with God's blessing with one of the enemies of Israel. As it was the custom of the time, he couldn't engage in battle without God's blessing. So Saul and his army wait there in the valley for seven days. And Samuel doesn't come. Not one time. Until after seven days. And so when waiting for Samuel and waiting for the war to start, and the soldiers were getting antsy and they were running out of food, he goes ahead he makes a sacrifice to God himself. He takes matters into his own hands. And he loses the kingdom for it. God strips the kingdom from him. Again, it seems like a simple measure, a simple matter. But God wanted Saul to trust him enough to wait on Samuel and to do the right thing, do it the right way. A lot of times an attitude, a poor attitude, will cause us to do the right thing in a wrong way. It will cause us to approach somebody maybe we, that we should. We should approach them over something. Maybe they're, they're, there's an injustice or something that we need to address. And as Christians, we're supposed to hold each other accountable. But if we do it with arrogance and condensation, condescending, con, con, a condescending tone, pardon me, looking down on people, we're doing it the wrong way. Attitude is everything. And attitude, attitude is the difference between judging your neighbor for, for, for an uh, obvious sin they have in their life or reconciling your neighbor to God. Matt and Jesus gives us this blueprint of, of going to people in the church that are living in sin, doing things that everybody knows about that are wrong. Going to them privately. Instead of going around their back and talking to folks about them, you go to them privately, humbly. The right attitude. Attitude is everything. <clears throat> I think we all learn this probably in different ways. I learned this lesson uh, not necessarily as harshly as Moses did. But uh, I learned it pretty harsh myself my junior year of high school. Living in Alaska, I've played hockey ever since I was eight years old. Uh, played on a lot of, a lot of teams. In, in high school, freshman year, I was on the varsity team. Sophomore year, I was on the varsity team. In junior year, it was my turn to start. The guy I'd been following was an upperclassman. He left my turn and I had two underclassmen behind me and I let it go to my head got in a fight with a with a teammate 
coach said, you want to go to JV and skate with those boys for a few weeks. You got a bad attitude. And I could have, I would have been humble enough, I would have acknowledged that I was wrong, that I would become a jerk, let it go to my head. Even my defense, if you're a starting goalie in a small town high school in a state where hockey is ten times as popular as football is here, uh, you almost feel like a god. Because people know you that you never even met. The announcer, uh, the radio, calls the games. You hear your name. It just kind of gets to you. People weren't made, weren't meant to have that kind of fame. Even small town local celebrity, and that went to my head. I stood up and I said, "Good luck replacing me." I quit and I walked out. And I could have come back. I could have skated on JV. I could have been humble. I thought it was below me because I never had to skate JV. I always skated varsity. Attitude is everything. It'll make you, it'll break you. More times than not, a bad attitude will break you. Every time. Some quick things from Scripture. Three points we gather is a poor attitude will keep you from fulfilling God's purposes. Saul could have been the king that ushered in the monarchy that fulfilled God's promises to Abraham. But he didn't. He chose to go the way of the world, to act as otherworldly kings act, and he lost the kingdom. But then, even after God stripped the kingdom away from him, said, I'm going to give it to this boy, David, who has my blessing, who has a heart after mine. Saul was still king for a number of years while David was growing up. He could have been the regency to David. He could have been the king known for grooming the best king, the most faithful king that Israel ever had. He lost the the kingdom, but he still could have had a godly legacy. But what what does he do? He becomes so paranoid, so jealous of David, that he he tries to kill him. The wrong perspective will keep you from fulfilling God's purposes. A poor attitude will keep you, excuse me, a poor attitude will make you lash out at others, just like Saul lashed out at David. Saul tries to kill David. David didn't take his kingdom away from him. David never rubbed it in his face that he was going to be the next and not Jonathan. David was humble. David, when he found out that Saul, the man that was trying to kill him for the last ten years or more, when he found out that he was dead, what does he do? Does he dance? Does he sing? He mourns. And he cries for God's anointed the death of God's anointed David had the right attitude Saul didn't so what could have been a legacy turned into a tragedy a poor attitude will make you hard hearted and prevent you from repenting Look at King David versus Judas. They both blew it pretty big. 
But how do the two respond to their failure? David, he rips his clothes. He gets on his knees and he cries bitterly to God. He fasts. He doesn't leave the tent of meeting. That little place where he had the ark. He went before the ark of God and cried and wept and repented for its failure. What did Judas do? Judas killed himself. Rather than going back to the people that he betrayed. And Jesus forgave Peter. He would have forgiven Judas. He forgave the people that were putting him on the cross. He would have forgiven Judas. Judas could have been restored. Peter was. Judas betrayed him. Peter denied him. But the difference, the difference between Peter and Judas is Peter's story doesn't stop at his failure, but he's redeemed, becomes one of the greatest apostles the world's ever seen. And Judas died in that potter's field. Never to be redeemed or restored. Died in infamy. Attitude. Attitude is everything. I could go on. Bad attitude has plagued my life. Prevented me from living God's purposes, preventing me from being as effective as I could have been in the kingdom, in the ministry, attaining my legacy. Attitude. It's all about attitude. The older I get, the more I realize that everything is, comes down to attitude, not what happens to me, but how I respond to what happens to me. It's everything. It's absolutely everything. Finally, we're going to look in Galatians chapter 6. Paul gives us a few quick weapons against a bad attitude. He says, brothers and sisters, if someone is overtaken in any wrongdoing, you who are spiritual, restore such a person with a gentle spirit. Again, the right attitude. Not an arrogant, condescending spirit. Not a judgmental spirit. But the right spirit. A humble spirit. A broken heart. Watching out for yourselves so that you won't be tempted. Carry one another's burdens. And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. So how do you prevent yourself becoming, from having a bad attitude? Care for others. Carry one another's burdens. Be your brother's keeper. And if you can humble yourself to serve others, then you can keep yourself in the right perspective. If you can be objective towards others and, and subjective towards yourself, you'll have a bad attitude. If you look at each other, at your, your neighbor objectively, but you looked at yourself subjectively, meaning you're forgiving your sin, you forgive your own sins, your own personal uh, idiosyncrasies, you, you, you forgive those, but the, the idiosyncrasies in others the failings in others, you hold them accountable. It's a bad attitude. Christ tells us to do the opposite. 
to be objective towards ourselves, to look at ourselves the way we really are, but to see others with grace-filled eyes. In other words, in the words of a man that I respect more than probably anybody else in this world, he said that he keeps from become, becoming angry, from having a bad attitude by when he looks at other people, he makes sure that he sees Jesus. Seeing the Jesus in other people. Attitude is everything, friends. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this time together, and I pray that you will continue to keep us humble with the right perspective, serving you, fulfilling your purposes as you have called us. I pray, Lord, that you would keep us faithful to the ministry and faithful to your calling, faithful to your purposes, and faithful to one another. In our name we pray. I think this is a great hymn to wrap up Brandon's message. Thank you for that, Brandon. It's called Be Thou My Vision. sees each other. May you be gracious and kind to one another. May you always be given the right perspective and react to things as Jesus would. In this way, we bring about the kingdom of heaven. Go and be blessed. And as they say in the biz, that's a wrap.